Amen. Aloha, church. Peace be with you all. Uh, you can take a seat for a few moments before we read our text. Just a couple uh, reminders, a couple updates. Um, so as we read the news, we see what's happening around the world. Um, the second wave or whatever they call it um, is obviously, you know, we see, we're seeing COVID-19 on the rise. Uh, and I just wanted to give you guys, uh, give us all a reminder of the uh, CDC guidelines and the state guidelines, uh, which are basically for, they recommend for people to wear masks, uh, to have social distancing, um, not to touch, not to hug. Um, so we're going to, I just want to make them obvious to all of us again, as a church, as a leadership, we're not going to enforce them. Uh, but we do have to tell them to you guys, and we have to make it aware. Uh, but we trust every one of you will make decisions for themselves, and whichever way it is, uh, you're free to choose those, make, make those decisions. Um, yeah, I mean, just today in the news, I've read about uh, somewhere, there's a funeral in Oahu, and from that funeral, there was like six people that got sick um, from embracing one another. So, just want to lay it there. Um, it's what we have to do. Make it obvious, and you can make your own decisions. Um, next Sunday, next Sunday will be our eight-year anniversary as a church, um, and we'll give you guys an update of all that was happening over the past year. We'll open up our financial stuff and show you all that was going on over the past year. Um, so with that said, with our year coming to an end, our fiscal year, uh, we do have some budget deficit. Uh, we were basically on track up until this COVID stuff hit, and then giving took a plunge, obviously. Uh, so I just want to make this obvious to you guys, and for those um, who are giving, thank you. It is because of you that we are able to be here. It is because of your financial um, generosity that we can continue to gather together. So we thank you. But for those of you who have yet to join uh, in this way and in, in supporting the gospel with your finances, I'd like to encourage you and invite you to, uh, to yeah, trust God with your finances and bless uh, local church, your local congregation to continue spreading the gospel. So with that, um, may we stand and open up our Bibles to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terabits, a mictum of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God. For man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, 
Cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offering to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for another opportunity to come before you together, gathered as your people to worship you with song, to worship you with our giving, and to worship you with your word, Lord. Um, and Father, we come expecting, we have come ready to receive, and Lord, we pray and we ask that you would speak to us. May your spirit be with us. Speak to um, our weak hearts. Speak to our weak and longing souls. Build us up, God with your word, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but four o'clock is usually when I start to relax and maybe take a nap or just watch something with the kids. Um, so definitely, um, yeah, I hope that um, I don't fall into this slump when I'm preaching, um, or you as you're listening. Um, I don't know if you know this, maybe you do know this, but one of the most repeated commandments in all of the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New, uh, the most repeated commandment is this phrase, do not be afraid, or do not fear. Um, we might expect it to be something else, like love people, or love God, or uh, love your neighbors, but the number one command that we hear all throughout Scripture is, is do not fear. Um, whether God's people would face a battle or um, they would go against an enemy, um, whether it was a difficult task that was before them, or just living life, God told his people over and over, do not fear. Do not be afraid. And so Psalm 56 was birthed, was written out of this very specific moment in David's life. It was a very fearful moment. Um, in the introduction, we read these words, a mictum of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Um, in 1 Samuel, we actually have two stories of David um, going to Gath. And we don't really know to which one of these uh, Psalm 56 refers to. might be both. Um, it doesn't really matter. Um, but just to give you a recap of David's life and how he ended up in Gath, um, if you remember the story of David and Goliath, most of you remember it. Um, the Philistines came to fight with Israel and they brought with them this secret weapon. It was a giant named Goliath. And so, long story short, David kills Goliath. And then David pursues the army of the Philistines. 
and he kills thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And so when David got back from battle, he came back into, I don't know if it was back to the city or whatever it was, there was a huge party on the streets. There was celebration, there was dancing, and they sang this song. And it went like this. Saul, king of Israel, killed thousands. David, this noob, like nobody knew who David was, killed tens of thousands. And so the people danced and they sang this very silly song. Bad idea. From that day on, immediately we read, Saul is jealous, and in his heart, he made a decision. He made it his life mission to kill David. And so this is where one of the most difficult moments for David begins. He was forced to run into the wilderness to hide from Saul. And Saul would send armies to look for David. He himself would go into the wilderness to hunt for David. And it was so bad that David was forced to seek refuge in enemy territory. He was forced to go to Gath to hide where the Philistines were. The Philistines whose army he destroyed, whose giant he killed, that's where he went. You know it's bad at home when going to the land of your enemies feels safer. And guess what? This silly song made its way to the Philistine country as well. As soon as they saw David there, they said, isn't this the guy who they sing this song about? Saul killed thousands, David tens of thousands. And interestingly, both times um, in chapter 21 and I believe 27 or 28, both times David went to Gath, this song came up. And so we read that when David heard all this, that he was very afraid like he should. And so, this psalm, David wrote after he escaped the Philistines. And in this chapter, he tells us what an emotional roller coaster this whole experience was. Running from Saul, running from the Philistines, coming back from them. And we're not going to, we don't have enough time to cover all the verses. There's so much good in this chapter. Um, but would you look at verse 1 and 2, 5 and 6? This is where David describes his enemies. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemy trample, my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. All day long they injure my cause. In their thoughts, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. The enemies of David were very thorough. They were on top of their game. Every base 
is covered. From every perspective you could think of, they were attacking him. They oppressed him all day long. They trample on him. They attack him proudly. This word proudly literally can be translated as from high places. This was people in power um, looking for his life. They sought to injure his cause. They would figure out what his plans were, and they would disrupt those plans. Their thoughts were consumed with evil against David. They stirred up strife, looking for different controversies or whatever they can find on David. They lurked in secret. They watched his every step, waiting for him to fall, waiting for him to screw up. They waited for his life. Ultimately, they wanted him gone. They are against him in the open. They watch him in secret. They talk about him publicly. They think about, them in, about him in their heads. Every aspect of David's life, every moment, every turn he took, it was infiltrated by enemies. At home, in the wilderness, in the land of his enemy, David is watched. He is hunted for. And what he admits here in Psalm 56, and he admits this in 1 Samuel as we read the story, David says, I am afraid. David, a man after God's heart, the guy that killed a giant, the guy that pursued the enemy's armies and killed thousands of them, this man is afraid. And we, here we see, even though David was a great man, even though he did amazing things none of us will ever do, he was more like us than we think. Same flesh, same struggles, same fears. He had enemies just like we do. And that's why Psalms are so powerful for us today. They just put into words the realities that we experience today. And being human was the same experience then. It was the same experience for David as it is for us. And so when we talk about fear, fear takes on many forms. But one of the ways that fear is a very present reality in our life is made visible through our anxieties. Anxiety is probably one of the most common struggles in our culture today. We constantly see articles and studies and statistics on how much people are struggling with anxiety, um, how much people have clinical anxiety, the causes of anxiety. It's a very popular topic. Our culture is obsessed with it, and we know that it is a reality today. And most of us would say that there is some sort of anxiety in our lives. Anxiety can come to us because of uncertain or troubling times. 
Anxiety can come to us from our sin. It can come to us from a wrong perspective or expectation of life. And as we think about anxiety and fear, um, I was looking for a definition. We know that there is fear and anxiety, but I was just looking for, like, what is, what is the relation between anxiety and fear? And over and over, just, I saw this definition. Anxiety is basically fear of the possibility. It is fear of something that has not yet happened, but it might happen or it might not happen, and so we are afraid. That would be how anxiety would be defined. And fear, fear would be defined as a response to a known and definite threat. So basically, fear is a fear of a threat right here, right now. And anxiety is fear of uncertainty. It's fear of the future. And in his word, God calls us to both. He calls us not to fear. And God calls us not to be anxious. And as we know, that is far more easier said than done. We all struggle with fear. We all struggle with anxiety. And God is not surprised by our struggle. That's why he never tells us to simply stop being anxious. He doesn't say, hey, just stop being afraid. But he gives us a better way. He provides us a better way than to be anxious. He calls us into something that will give us hope and that will bring out praise in our hearts. And so I just want to explore this with you with the help of Psalm 56, with the help of um, the anxiety and the fears that are even going on in David's life and how he came to the resolution. I want to explore this with you today. And I just want to say that I am no expert in this area, obviously. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. Um, I could refer you to one, but I am no expert. So if you want some expertise on how stuff, how stuff grows around your house, some bushes or grass, I might help you, but when it comes to anxiety, I'm learning and I'm struggling through it with you guys. But we do have some experts. And um, as I was studying this, even talking to some of my friends who are study this, this field, Christian experts trusted in our circle of Christianity, they talk about anxiety as Basically, they break it down into four types. So I just want to go through them with you. So the first type of anxiety is a good anxiety. It's a gift from God. It's the way God wired us for our benefit. It's to protect us. When you come to the edge of a cliff and your heart sinks into your toes because of the possibility that you might fall, that anxiety is good. It makes you take a few steps back. Some of you lack this gift. 
<laughs> the second type is an anxiety that is caused by a physiological disorder in the body. Uh, we often call it clinical anxiety. Um, there's some sort of biological malfunction that's at play, and that causes anxiety without reason. And that's where a trip to the doctor might be necessary. And so these first two types of anxiety is what we call, they're, they're not sinful anxieties. Um, one is a gift from God, and the second is just what it means to be a part of this broken world. It's what it means to be broken. The next two types of anxieties is what we would call sinful anxieties. And so number three is an anxiety that is, 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 is caused directly by our sin. It's careless actions that bring consequences that cause us to be anxious. Our sin that causes trouble in our life. For example, if you don't take care of your marriage, or if you are unfaithful in your marriage, the anxiety that follows is the product of your sin. Or if you're careless with your finances, you spend your money recklessly without saving, without considering for maybe the future. When, time, when, when hard times hit and there's no savings, the anxiety that you feel in the moment is the result of you not being a good steward of what God has entrusted you with. It's an anxiety, we can bring many examples, but it's an anxiety that is a direct result of our sin. And so the fourth type of anxiety is caused by our realization that we don't have control, that we lack control. When we think of the future, when we think of the economy, when we think of our health, our work, our personal finances, um, as we think about our relationships, travel, or whatever plans we have, basically everything out of our control, things that can change, things that can shift, and those shifts go against our plans, and we become anxious. This is sinful anxiety because it lacks trust in God. We don't believe that God is our provider or that God cares for us, that God knows what's best for us. And so we are anxious because we have no control. We can't manipulate the situation for our own purposes or good. And we don't trust that the one who has everything under control will care for us. And uh, this is the anxiety that Jesus addresses in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. When he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 22, if you want to go there, where he says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither 
storehouses, no barns, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Jesus speaking on this anxiety that um, comes from us looking into the future and being worried, being anxious about what is to come, about what we can't control. He, he, he says it right here. He's like, you don't have control. You're not able to do even a small thing as add an hour to your life. And then he reminds us, you have no control, but you are a beloved child of the one who has control. Look around you. Look at the birds, the ravens. Later on, he's, in, in this text, he brings on lilies. He brings on flowers. And he says, God takes care of them. You are more valuable. You are more loved than them. And so instead of telling us, hey, disciples, stop being anxious, Jesus says, do not be anxious. And he points us he calls our attention. He calls us to rest in the all-powerful, sovereign care of God for you. He calls us to, instead of gripping tight to our plans, our desires for future, he says, rest in the God who holds the future. Often we think we don't struggle with anxiety. Um, we think we don't struggle with anxiety because we trust in God until hard times come. And then that trust is really tested. So often loss causes anxiety. Loss exposes the false trusts that we have. And it is a good thing from God. And so those are basically the four types of anxieties. And all four of these anxieties, all these fears, they are enemies. Physical, spiritual enemies that we face every single day, just like David. Whether we find ourselves in situations out of our control, Maybe we're against the wall. Maybe we are at the edge of a cliff trying to reel back from danger. Anxiety is real to all of us. Sinful, non-sinful. Maybe it's the enemy that we face physiologically, the dysfunctions of our body. Maybe it's the result of our very own sin the war that we wage with our flesh, the sin that you hate. Maybe it's the devil himself. Maybe it's the struggles with unbelief, with doubt. And for most of us, our anxiety stems not just from one, but 
probably a combination of multiple factors. Some of it is self-inflicted. Some of it is providential from God. Some of it is a direct result of our foolishness. Some of it comes from the current circumstances. David definitely struggled with at least three types of these anxieties, maybe even four, we don't know. Hiding from Saul in the wilderness and experiencing the anxiety of that was just, it it wasn't a self-inflicting thing. It was just what God has given him. Going to the Philistines was definitely not trusting God in the wilderness. And so the troubles he experienced there were self-inflicting. But self-inflicted or providential, the solution to our fears, the solution to our anxieties is the same. God doesn't treat anxiety brought into our lives by sin or otherwise differently. He doesn't discriminate against anxieties. So I want to look with you how David dealt with it, how David dealt with his fears. If you go with me to verse 3, he says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in, in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In these two verses, David goes from I am afraid to I shall not be afraid. And in between these two realities, from fear to no fear, we have our answer. And the answer is simply Trust in God. He says, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. And isn't this exactly what Jesus calls us to in Luke 12 as well? When he says, look how well your father takes care of the birds and the flowers You are more valuable to him than them. Trust his care. And so throughout this chapter, we see that David knew that God is trustworthy. He's not saying, I trust in you without a reason. David had many reasons to trust in God, and he gives us those reasons. And here we see that God is trustworthy both because of what he says about himself, his word, and in both in action. God is trustworthy in his word and in action. And verse 3, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. Verse 9 and 10. This I know that God is for me, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. David trusted God's word. He believed that God is who he says he is. God is not lying about who he says he is. But David also knew 
that God was trustworthy in action. Mm -hmm. David experienced this reality. We see this in verse 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. David experienced real deliverance over and over again. If you read through 1 Kings, um, sorry, 1 Samuel, that, that reality is just on display. I don't know how your experiences were with your fathers, with your dads. Um, my dad was very trustworthy. He's a man of very few words. I could work a full day with him and exchange just a few words. But building a house or navigating through life, even though I was often confused what was going on, I didn't know what to do, I could trust that my father, my dad, had things under control. And most of the time he did. And so through his actions as a child, he proved that he is trustworthy over and over again. And as a kid, I took comfort in that. I trusted dad. Dad knew what he was doing, even if I, even if I did not understand. And that brought comfort. God is not a man of a few words. God tells us a lot about himself. And God is not a God of few actions. He did and he does a lot to display that he is trustworthy. He is way better than any best dad we could ever have or we could ever trust and find comfort in. And so the antidote to our fear, the antidote to our anxieties, no matter how fierce our enemies are, no matter how much they have surrounded us, the antidote to our fear and anxiety is to trust God, is to trust the trustworthy God. And so the greatest display of God's care for us, what is it? How do we know, how can we be sure that God loves us? The answer to the question, how much does God really value us, is displayed on the cross. When Jesus says, you are more valuable than birds and flowers, that is what he means. He cares for us so much, he himself came down from heaven to save you. It's displayed on the cross. Dying at the hands of, the, of his enemies to pay for your sin, to pay for our sin. To bring salvation and hope to us. We're hopeless. And even now, if we are honest, 
those of you who, are, who have experienced this grace, who have experienced this love of Jesus, if we're honest, we still struggle. We still struggle with doubt, with fear, with anxiety, with unbelief, with sin. We rely on ourselves. We trust ourselves. We trust our plans. We self-inflict. And through all this, God remains compassionate. God remains faithful, just like he did with David. He does not treat us as we deserve. He does not hold our failures over our head like our enemies do. It doesn't matter if this anxiety that you are struggling with or this fear is brought about by providence or your self-inflicted wounds. He doesn't treat us as we deserve. Instead, he sympathizes in our weakness and he knows that we are mere men. And so we will not defeat, as we think about our anxieties and our fears, as we even look at what the world offers us as the solution, what we need to know is that we will not defeat our fears through our own muscle. We will not defeat it through our own grit, through our own self-assurance and self-reliance, but we will only defeat fear by continual reminder, by continual dwelling on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on God's care for you, on God's love for you, on God's continual provision for you by remembering the grace and mercy that he has for his children, not just once, not twice, but forever. And so he calls us to trust him. He is far more reliable than any father you had or you did not have. And so we see his trust, we see the reason we can trust is demonstrated on the cross in Christ's death. But we also see it demonstrated through his resurrection. As Jesus died at the hands of the enemies, he did not stay defeated. Jesus resurrected, and through his resurrection, he defeated his enemies, proving that even death has no power, has no hold on him. And so today, church, his victory, his victory over the most scariest, over the most deadliest enemies is our victory. As weak as we are, even when death at the end takes advantage of our weakness and when we die, because we are his, because we are loved by him, 
valued by him, cared for by him, we will not die. Death has no power over us. Satan has no power over our souls. And just like he did, we will also resurrect. And this evening, I want to finish off with Revelations 12, 10. You can open up your Bibles, Revelations 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even until death. This is true. This is the already not yet. The enemy has been defeated, church. We can rest in that. We can trust in that as we deal with various enemies that we have. We can know he has been defeated. Let's pray. Father, we are so fragile. We are so weak. And we are so privileged that we belong to the King of Kings. That we are children of the God who holds everything together by the power of his word. I thank you, Lord, that we, that you don't call us to muster up our own strength, that you don't call us to find self-assurance, Lord, but you call us to trust you. And Father, you have given us so many reasons to trust. You prove yourself more and more every single day. And Father, I pray that we would delight in your promises, that we would, as a church, find comfort in who you are. As we navigate difficult times, just being in this world, Lord. As we navigate difficult times in our own life, as families, as individuals, Lord, things that we have brought upon ourselves by our sin or things that we find ourselves providentially like fleeing from Saul in the wilderness. Father, I pray that as we experience fear, as we experience anxiety, that we would trust in you, that your promises would be ever before us, that we would find joy, that we would find pleasure, that we would find satisfaction in you, God. For your glory, in Jesus' name.